Coming up, the chase for the NFL playoffs begin as a very intriguing week 14 sets the stage for the final quarter of the season. Two big stars heading to new addresses in the NBA. I'll have the latest on Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard, and how the Blazers organization has had a rough couple of weeks. The Arizona Coyotes not paying their bills. What's next for an organization that doesn't have a home after this season? The Mets are still searching for their next manager, who would be my choice if I were running the franchise. A new number one in college basketball, a Heisman Trophy winner, Tigers return to golf, an upset in MMA. I've got it all as you've come to the only podcast that covers everything that's happening in the world of sports. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits as we're inching closer to the holiday season. There's plenty of sports cheer to go around. Thank you for stopping by to get your fix right here, right now, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 228 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, December the 13th in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. The Portland Trailblazers have been at the forefront of the NBA news cycle, whether it's the front office, their best player, and their second best player. 
And now there may be words of Damian Lillard looking to get his way out of Portland. And it looked like they actually had a trade consummated between them and the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons. But that was shot down with the quickness. I'll talk about both of those players, the organization on the whole, and everything that's happening in the association later on. As for baseball, all is quiet on the Western Front, but if you're a Met fan like myself, you're wondering, who the hell is the next manager? Well, I have my choice that I'll share with you later on. Not only that, but where they're going to potentially find their next manager is shocking, to say the least, and I'll share that later on as well. What in tarnation is happening to the Arizona Coyotes? I get it. Nobody really pays attention. Nobody really cares. But how can a sports organization handle themselves the way they did this past week by not paying bills, by pretty much about to be evicted as of this coming week? All has been mended as far as the Coyotes playing in that Gila River Arena in Glendale. But what's going to happen next with this organization as they do not have a home for this Coyote franchise? I'll sort that mess as well. I'll get into what's happening in college basketball as there will be a new number one this week as Purdue was knocked off. But I'll have that. Tiger Woods coming back to golf but playing with his son. Also, an upset in MMA, which was shocking to say the least. And it's not from the men's. It's actually from the women's side. Everything that you can shake a stick at, you know I got you guys covered, including my hero and zero of the week. After tonight's game in Arizona between the Rams and Cardinals, we have finally have come to the final four weeks of an NFL season, which means no more buys. We can concentrate on this final, we'll say quarter of the season, even though it's not the 16 games that we've come to know and love. Now with the extra game and with nothing but clear sailing ahead so we could get to mid-January to start the Lombardi chase get into a postseason, etc. We could look ahead, but first look behind in a week 14 to decipher everything that's going on with this playoff chase because we have a lot of interesting scenarios, a lot of interesting developments that took place over the weekend. And to kick us off here, we're going to get right to it, our winners and losers of week 14. And my first winner, it's a little bit of a strange one, but I'll explain why. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And people are going to say, Jay Reels, what are you, crazy? The Buccaneers, they've been pretty much in cruise control the whole year. They're now 10-3. and They're going to win the NFC South. They look like they're going to put themselves in a position to maybe go for a one seed. Well, that's the point. Because yesterday's game would have been a travesty considering they were up 24-3 and 27-10 with 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter to have Buffalo come all the way back to tie the game And then in overtime, the heroics, what else is new? Tom Brady, you can't add any more to his legend unless he wins another Lombardi trophy at SoFi in mid-February. But for the Buccaneers to escape that game and with their schedule the rest of the way where they have to play two against Carolina, one against the Jets, and then a Sunday night game against New Orleans, you would think that they're going to Put the pedal to the metal here. Get to that finish line. I'm sure they're going to lose one more along the way. But I would think for this veteran team to have their sights set on another Super Bowl run and know that they would want to rest their bones, get an extra week there with a bye come the middle of January, not have to worry about guys like Brady or Gronk or anybody on the defensive side of the ball who's of age where that extra week of rest will certainly reset 
reboot and reload a team to maybe go back-to-back in a day and age where the last NFL team to go back-to-back was Brady's Patriot teams going to the mid-aughts, that 2002-2003 range. That's why they get my number one winner because with a soft schedule and even with Arizona with a tough game tonight, as I mentioned, against the Rams, they could pretty much secure their division in the NFC West tonight with a win over the Rams. But first things first with the Bucs, they were able to survive and come out of that game victorious. So they're my winners, number one. Number two goes to the Cleveland Browns. And the reason why I say them is because they not only have put themselves in the thrust of the AFC playoff picture, and as of right now, they're on the outside looking in. But that was a huge win, even with Lamar Jackson going down with an ankle injury early. And Tyler Huntley almost brought them back from the dead as the Browns had a big lead heading into the fourth quarter. But got to give it up to the Browns. They don't do anything spectacular. I mean, think about this team. Baker Mayfield skates by with these games, doesn't jump off of the stat sheet as far as his numbers week in and week out. The defense, we know about all the talent that they have there and give it up for Miles Garrett who had the fumble recovery in for a touchdown. And we know that they have game breakers on that side of the ball. But for whatever the reason, they have not been able to put it all together this year to the point of only a 7-6 and six record. A lot of people thought that after the success that they had last year and winning a playoff game and taking the Chiefs down to the wire, that this was a team that was going to be primed to maybe even make a Super Bowl run. But this was a big game for them, not only to beat Baltimore, to have another division win under their belt, but knowing that they have a home game against a beaten up Raider team, and we'll get to them in a little bit. And although a very tricky schedule down the stretch, they still have to go to Pittsburgh. They have a home game against Cincinnati. And there's one other game that I'm missing here off the top of my head. Not an easy schedule, but at least for this week, they crept themselves back up into the playoff picture, although they're on the outside looking in, but they put themselves in very good position, knowing that the Bengals lost yesterday to the Niners, and with the Ravens now just a game back in the division, let's see what Cleveland could do here to kind of right in the ship and go full steam ahead to possibly even win a division when a lot of people thought as of a couple of weeks ago, losing in Baltimore, that that wasn't going to be the case. So they're my winners number two. As far as my losers go, the first one has to go to the Washington football team. You had Mike McCarthy come out on Thursday, say that they were going to, for all intents and purposes, guarantee to win the game. Then you have the controversy, if you want to throw that in the mix, where the Cowboys brought in their own heated benches to FedEx Field because of what happened the week before when the Seattle Seahawks had a Monday night game where the heated benches broke down at some point during the game. I didn't watch the game. To me, that was a waste of time. But with the Seahawks complaining and I guess getting into the ear of the Cowboys, they said, the heck with this. We're going to bring our own heated benches. So by throwing that extra log on the fire, you would think that they would have been chomping at the bit. They would have been pumped up, ready to go at their heated rivals from the South. But what happened? Four turnovers, just sloppy play, 24 nothing out of the gate. And even though when you look at the final score and it being 27-20, it was not close by any means. And just a shame for a team that had won four straight going into this contest and actually had an outside shot to contend in the NFC least, because it's back to the NFC least people, 
And for them to just spit the bit, for them to pretty much be in the locker room for the first half of the game, for them to not only, with all that buildup, all of the bulletin board material, and the stuff with the bench, and you would think that they would have been running through brick walls at that point. Just the terrible performance there by the Washington football team, and the quarterback was not good. And give it up. He's been gutty, gritty, and has overachieved for the most part. But yesterday, you saw all the warts there with the fumbles and the turnovers, and the Cowboys were able to be victorious there and pretty much have salted away the NFC least. So they're losing number one. And loser number two has to go to, sorry Jai, sorry Brian Murray, sorry Reese Sassel, the Cincinnati Bengals, because they had a homestand which started off with a monumental victory against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they broke out the pom-poms, they swept the big bad Steelers, they were at that point 7-4, and four, riding high, you would think that, not to say that they were going to be a shoe-in for the AFC playoffs, but they were in great position to not only even make it to the postseason, but maybe even contend for the AFC North, considering that they beat Baltimore early in the year. Since then, they lost a terrible game to the Chargers where they were down 24-0, actually came all the way back, but then spit it up there later on with the Joe Mixon fumble, and that was turned into a touchdown. And then yesterday at Paul Brown Stadium, for them to come out of the gate slow, they were down 20-6. Not only that, that sequence right before the half where Darius Phillips fumbled a second punt in the game where that led into a touchdown where you could look at that and say that was the key point of the game I understand it went into overtime and even the Bengals took a lead in overtime with a field goal as they had the ball first but for the defense not to show up there on that final drive and you had Brandon Ayuk go into the end zone just barely cross the goal line and the Niners came out victorious in Cincinnati, where the Bengals had a golden opportunity to draw even with the Ravens, with the loss I mentioned earlier to the Browns, and for them to be in first place. And now they have to go to Denver, in which is going to be a huge AFC tilt there in the mile high against the Broncos. But the Bengals, that was one that I'm sure they would love to have back. Slow out of the gate. Comedy of errors in the middle. Yes, they came back with two Jamar Chase touchdowns there in the fourth quarter and even had that lead with the field goal there to start off the overtime. But to lose that game in that fashion, uh, that is just a punch to the gut if you're a Bengal fan. So they cap off my loser segment. But as we take a look through this schedule and through what happened there yesterday, as we go through the AFC... New England had a bye yesterday, so they are still atop the AFC at 9-4. And, and even with Tennessee's victory and even Kansas City beating the Raiders, and that was no match. And it looks like the Chiefs, I'm not going to say that they're back, but now they're on a roll. It seems like they're starting to put it together at the right time. And you have to wonder, if you're the rest of the AFC, is this going to be the Chief team we see from here on out? Or will they stub their toe with another loss or have those games where the offense isn't in sync? And the defense, which has carried them throughout this stretch here, are they going to be the ones that are going to save the day as they head into January and look to get back to a Super Bowl? To me, that remains to be seen. I'm not sold on their defense, despite the fact that they have played well. This team is going to be offensively driven. It's going to be the identity of this team, no matter how good the defense could play. 
Not to say I need to see more, but Kansas City, they're Jekyll and Hyde. I guess I trust them more than I don't, but because of the way they performed this year, I can't say that they're going to be a shoe-in to make it to an AFC Championship game or even to a Super Bowl. And the Patriots, I know we weren't discussing this because of the game Monday night, but for that performance by New England, and really Bill Belichick was, I'm not going to go as far as saying revolutionary, but for his quarterback to throw one pass in three and a half quarters and three total is more of the brilliance of Bill Belichick than it is the stupidity and just inexplicable coaching of Sean McDermott. And I get you can knock McDermott considering that you had to do something to that ground game of the Patriots to where you had to get Mac Jones throwing more than three passes throughout the course of the game. As we know, the conditions were blustery. You had gusts of 50 miles an hour. That was the reason why the Patriots ran the ball throughout the whole game. But the Patriots, they always find ways. They always come up with a game plan. And that's where you look at the brilliance of Bill Belichick in that regard to where his team was victorious, even just throwing three passes. And you want to know something? Maybe to a certain extent, I'm not going to say revolutionary because you got to see this more of a pattern than just one night. But as we all know, passing league, it's all about getting the ball downfield. We've seen the numbers spike up and increase week in and week out. The 300-yard passer is pretty much standard. It's not like it was 20 or even 30 years ago where if you had a 300-yard passer, that was not only newsworthy, but it was almost groundbreaking. When you look back at a guy like Dan Marino when he was pretty much doing that in his sleep. But for... The Patriots and what they did, and now they have a bye here at the most perfect time, and it makes you think that the NFL gods somehow, some way, are just shining down on the Patriots because for that bye to come right now, you wonder if that's going to really put their team in recharge, in reload mode to get through these final four games, in which they have a couple of tough ones, Indianapolis on Saturday night, which we'll get to when we go through the schedule, and then they do have to go to Miami at season's end, which has always been a house of horrors over the years for Bill Belichick. But you have a couple of soft games in between for New England, and you would think that they're going to pretty much cruise to a division title, considering what we saw there in Tampa yesterday as Buffalo loses again. And they've been disappointing. That's a team, as I talked about last week, if you listen to the podcast, they were a team that were pretty much on track to go to the Super Bowl. And right now, they look like they're going to be on track to being on the outside looking in. Now, as of today, and we'll go through the playoff scenarios in a little bit, but they really have to look themselves in a mirror to see what the hell has gone wrong here, not only just in the last couple of weeks, but this whole season, because the Bills have certainly underachieved here in the AFC. So the Patriots, Titans, and Chiefs are 1, 2, and 3 in the AFC. Follow that by the two 8, and 5 teams, the Baltimore Ravens and the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the Ravens we talked about, a little bit earlier with that loss to Cleveland, not knowing the status of what Lamar Jackson is going to be from here on out, that is going to be huge because not only is the AFC North wide open for either the Browns or the Bengals to take over, but could that also mean that the Ravens, without their former MVP, could they go slide south in the conference to the point where they may not make the postseason? That is 
right now the question in Baltimore. And we'll find out, I'm sure, in the hours, forget about days, in the hours to come after an MRI to see what that ankle looks like. And Tyler Huntley, for what he's done here in a pinch, and he's been very good. When you look at the game in Chicago, when you look at this game just yesterday and what he had done just to try to bring his team back from the dead. But are you going to be sold that Huntley's going to be the guy to fill in and carry the Ravens into the postseason? I need to see more. I feel the reason why he's done so well is that there's not a lot of tape on this guy, so it's not as if you know what his strengths or weaknesses are. But, hey, he has performed well here in that start in Chicago when Lamar Jackson was out due to an illness, and then yesterday filling in for Jackson as well. But the Ravens right now, you have to really be concerned on whether or not, forget about the vision. You got to wonder whether or not the health, and we all know Jackson relies more on his legs than his arm. And if he's going to be hobbling around with a what's deemed a low ankle sprain, that sucker isn't going to heal overnight or in two weeks. So that is the big wild card moving forward in the AFC on whether or not his health being compromised as it is, what it's going to look like, not only for the rest of this regular season, but if they make it into the postseason. Because to me, without Lamar Jackson, you can forget it. Now the Chargers, with their win against the Giants yesterday, 37-20, they were up 37-7. But the big test comes... On Thursday night where the Chiefs will make the trek out to SoFi and which will be for the division because if you remember earlier in the year the Chargers beat the Chiefs in Kansas City so if they do beat Kansas City there on Thursday night they'll have the tiebreaker over them by sweeping them and will be thrust into the middle of the playoff picture when it comes to the one seeds because as you know with New England, Tennessee and Kansas City just being a game behind the charge that is in that race for the top spot. It will go a long way for the Chargers to win this game, but I have to say right now, I can't trust them. I hope they win. I would like to see them win. And even with them not having tiebreakers against New England because New England did beat them earlier on in the year, but them to inch closer to the top spot, we would almost look at that as a curse more than a blessing because... This Charger team, for the most part, this year has been so up and down and so unpredictable that you do not know from one week to the next, you would think that, hey, after the performance against the Giants there yesterday, and again, they were the lowly Giants, being at home, maybe they would be able to beat the Chiefs, but you know there's going to be a little bit of a revenge factor knowing that the Chargers did win in Arrowhead early this year, and the Chiefs seem to be peaking at this moment. So that's a game I think would favor the Chiefs. But with the Chargers, you never know. This will be the week that the Chiefs give up 35 points and they end up winning 35-31. So we'll see what happens there. Colts, Bills, Browns, and even Bengals, and you got to even throw in the Broncos. All those teams, and that's the storyline right here when you look at the AFC playoff picture because the Colts who had a bye, they will host New England there Saturday night, which is going to be a fascinating game and playoff implications abound. And we already talked about Buffalo and where they stand. And they're currently a seven seed. And with the Browns nipping at the heels, as well as the Bengals and Broncos, for those who believe in them, all those teams are pretty much going to be fighting for those last two spots in the AFC. You want to throw in the Steelers? I'm not going to do that right now. But it's going to be a fight to the finish there with all those teams fighting out for those two spots, and that's one, two, three, four, five teams for two spots. 
And who knows? We could see the Chargers coming back to earth. And could you imagine if Indy wins, Buffalo wins, and then you have Cleveland and Cincinnati winning, you could have all those teams then wrapped up at 8-6 and six when it's all said and done. Or even if the Broncos win because they'll face one another this weekend, Cincinnati and Denver in one of the big games this coming weekend. So you have all that to look forward to there in the AFC. And then in the NFC, Arizona has that game tonight against the Rams, as I said. They beat the Rams earlier this year at SoFi, and they would want to keep ahead of the Green Bay Packers as they won last night against the Bears. No surprise. I get it that the Bears, with all their special teams, and Jakeem Grant having that 97-yard, and I was amazing to think that he didn't even let that ball go in the end zone. But hey, kudos to him for running it back 97 yards, but that wasn't pretty much the big focal point of the game. Even with the Bears at that point, 24-14, they still left too much time on the clock for Aaron Rodgers. He was able to get a touchdown there to make it 24-21, and then they pretty much took off in the second half and cruised to a 45-30 victory. But with Arizona winning tonight, they'll stay ahead of Green Bay because if you remember, Green Bay has a tiebreaker over the Cardinals head-to-head with that Thursday night win earlier this year. Tampa we talked about as, again, big winner this past week because if they would have lost... They would have been 9-4, and four, and the chances of them maybe even making a two-seed, let alone a one-seed, would have been pretty far-fetched, even with an easy schedule ahead. The Cowboys wrapped up their division, as we talked about, over Washington. The Rams, we'll see what happens tonight, as they have a last-ditch effort to see if they could do anything in an NFC West that, even if they were to win against the Cardinals tonight, we would have to look at the division records and break that all down, and as we know right now, even with them winning tonight, they'll be 2-2. Two and two, And with Arizona losing 4-1, and one, they still have the driver's seat to win in NFC West. Follow the Rams with the Niners' big win, as we talked about. And as we've seen Jekyll and Hyde over the weeks, where two weeks ago they beat Minnesota and put themselves in good stead in the NFC. Then they lose to Seattle, up in Seattle last week. And you're thinking, oh boy, Niners may have bottomed out here a little bit. But then now, back on the beam with the sixth seed in the... NFC, and even with Washington's loss yesterday, they currently are seventh, if you can believe that, in the NFC. But just like the AFC with all those seven and six teams, you have a bunch of six and seven teams, and let's count them. Similar to the AFC with five, seven, and six, you have Washington, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and New Orleans all at six and seven. And mind you, the Washington football team and the Eagles still have two matchups here over the last four weeks to see where they will be when it's all said and done in the NFC as far as fighting for that seventh seed. So we could talk about all these different games. We could talk about stats and strategy and what have you. But really, when you look at both of these conferences, yes, we could look at who's going to come out with the one seed because we all know With the seven playoff teams in each conference, there's only one bye, not the customary two that we've seen over the years. Remember last year, even in the COVID year, when they added the extra team to the playoff mix, that the one seed is the only team that gets the bye. So we can look at that and see as a storyline heading into these final four weeks. But what we're really looking at here in the teeth of both playoff races, sadly, it has to be the bottom. Because we do not know what the middle is going to look like with those 9-4 and four or 8-5 and five teams or even the 7-6 and six teams there in the AFC. 
And as we've seen time and time again in the NFL, as long as you're in the dance, as long as you get to the postseason, anybody has a shot. And as we know, this year is probably as wide open as it's ever been. So let's say if the season ended today and we look at the AFC, Buffalo would go to Tennessee in a 2-7 match. Buffalo has already lost to Tennessee, but remember, they couldn't get that sneak Josh Allen at 34-31, and you could argue whether or not they should have played for a field goal there. But would you be shocked if Buffalo went into Tennessee and beat the Titans? Absolutely not. The Colts going into Kansas City, and granted that all systems would have to go where their running game would have to pretty much eat up a ton of clock, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, make sure that Jonathan Taylor gets 25 to 28 touches to rush for about 140, 50 yards, throwing a little Carson Wentz. Would that be... A shocker in Kansas City if the Indianapolis Colts went in there and won a playoff game? Of course not. In the NFC, it's a little bit different because nobody's going to expect the Washington football team to go to Green Bay and win a game at Lambeau or even a Niner team, which that would be very intriguing with the way the Niners have played and we know the type of offense that they could put up, especially from the ground if they get a lot of yards and obviously capitalize on turnovers like they did yesterday in Cincinnati, but would that be far-fetched if the Niners somehow, some way, snuck out of Tampa with a playoff victory on the road? I would say it's unlikely, but would it be an absolute shock? So that's where we're going to be looking at here over the course of these final four weeks with the NFL playoff scenario, people, because yes, we could talk about all the games and break it down. And yes, some of it is going to entail some strategy, whether or not a team should have gone for two, whether or not a team should have kicked a field goal, whether they should have gone for it on fourth down. Absolutely. But when we look at the schedule and as we pretty much have gone through all the games, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, I'm not going to go to that game, people. Uh, Listen, as a Steeler fan, I got to see them two weeks from now Let me see them beat Tennessee this coming Sunday after 10 days off. Let me see them go to Kansas City and win a game, and then we'll talk about their playoff chances at that point. Right now, what are they? I think they're 11th in the AFC, and for the Steeler fan that is holding out any hope, I would say don't do it just yet. So I'm not even going to break down that game. And even though I know Minnesota's in the 6-7 and bracket with all the other teams, but again... We will make sure that as we get closer after 15, 16, 17, and into 18, how this all shapes up, how it all breaks down, and you know that I'm going to be on top of this from here on out. Now, let me get to our Week 15 games, which you have a few, and it's highlighted by the game Thursday night, unfortunately, because that is the number one game of the week, and that is the Chiefs and Chargers. I gave you a little bit of a breakdown there earlier. I think the Chiefs, I wouldn't be surprised if they go in there. I'm not going to say they're going to blow them out, but I could see them getting a sizable lead Maybe the Chargers come crawling back, but they probably won't be a threat. I could see this being a 38-28 type game and Kansas City will prevail. If the Chargers win, would I be surprised? I would not, but I would think that the Chiefs, with everything clicking right now, that they will go into SoFi and come out of that with a victory. You have your first set of Saturday games, Vegas at Cleveland. All right, Cleveland looking to see if they get inch closer in the AFC North and get themselves into the top seven in the conference. The Vegas Raiders, this is their last gasp. 
I don't think they're going to be a part of this playoff race, but if they do happen to win, you still have to count them in there, but at 6-7, and seven, I think they're toast. And then you have New England and Indianapolis. Both of these teams are coming off buys now. Each coach has had two weeks to prepare, so nobody goes in at a disadvantage. So that should be interesting from that regard. But again, it is Bill Belichick versus Frank Reich. And Mac Jones, I'm sure Frank Reich is going to do anything in their power to put eight in the box, nine in the box, to slow down or stop that run game and have Mac Jones throw 35, 40 times. And that's where Sean McDermott dropped the ball there last week on the Monday night game. So those are your two matchups there. But I would think New England's due to lose. They won seven in a row here, people. And it's on the road. I'm going to say the Colts eke out a close game there Saturday night at the Lucas Oil Stadium. Sunday's games, here are your marquee games if you want to call them that. Cincinnati-Denver, I mean, nobody's going to look at that as like a, whoa, a must-watch. But to me, this is a game that whomever loses could be done for the year. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Green Bay at Baltimore loses a little luster, especially with the health status of Lamar Jackson. If he was healthy, raring to go, this would be a game a lot of people would watch, and I'm sure a lot of people will still watch. But if it's going to be Tyler Huntley, that's going to put a damper on it. So we'll have to wait and see how that shakes down. I wish that the powers that be at the NFL, and I understand why, would have taken that New Orleans-Tampa and put it at 425 or even at 1 o'clock and maybe moved. They probably wouldn't have moved the Green Bay-Baltimore game, but maybe they could have moved Cincinnati-Denver. And again, that's not a sexy game, and nobody wants to see Denver after what we saw there against Kansas City. What was it, eight, nine days ago? But could we have moved another game there instead? Probably not. So I guess they had to settle with New Orleans or Tampa. I'm not in love with that game. That's a game where, of course, NBC is going to look at it. Well, New Orleans at six and seven, they're fighting for their playoff lives against Tom Brady. We know it's Tom Brady, so there's the ratings. Ah, sick of it, but that's your Sunday night game. But other than that, you have Carolina at Buffalo, Arizona, Detroit, Jets at Dolphins. Cowboys at the Meadowlands against the Giants. Washington at Philadelphia. That's a game you're going to have to look at here because with that seven seed, as I mentioned in the NFC, that's going to play into this playoff picture. So we'll have to keep one eye open for that. Tennessee at Pittsburgh. Then you have Houston at Jacksonville. Atlanta at San Francisco. Seattle at the Rams. And then your Monday night game is Minnesota-Chicago. Not a great schedule. Your Thursday night is excellent. Saturday's very good. Sunday, yeah, and a Monday night, go to sleep. So that's what we got there for the NFL. And one last note before I move on. And obviously a very sad and tragic note. I know Denver beat Detroit yesterday 38-10. to And a lot of that game, and rightfully so, dedicated to the former wideout Demarius Thomas, who suddenly passed away in his home there Thursday night. Word has it that he had suffered from seizures, especially post-playing days. And his playing days weren't that long ago. I mean, it's not as if this guy's been retired five, six years. Remember, he was on the Texans and the Jets just a couple of years ago and then had announced his formal retirement there before the start of the season where the Broncos signed him for a day and, of course, wanted to retire as a Bronco. We know during that stretch where Peyton Manning came into Denver He had his most prodigious numbers and his Pro Bowl selections came at the bulk of that tenure from the 2012 to the 2016-17 range. And at 33 years old, 
just passing away so young. All the good things that were said about him, how great of a guy he was, how charitable he was, how he was always at other teammates' charity events, always smiling, upbeat, etc. Man, just a terrible story. And if that doesn't put things in perspective about life, people, then I don't know what will. As I like to say from time to time, especially as we get toward the end of the year, and it shouldn't be about a new year, and it shouldn't be about setting goals. We should always set goals, no matter what day of the year, no matter what time, no matter what season. And this is indicative of why we should not only cherish every day, but at the same time, not take it for granted. And all thoughts, prayers, condolences goes out to the Thomas family. Again, a coronation, pretty much a celebration, celebrating his life, although taken away from us way too soon, again, at the tender age of 33. Quickly, let me move on to college football people. I know you had the Army-Navy game the other day where Navy, no shock there, wins again. I believe the score was 16-13. I didn't watch it. I was actually surprised that the game was played at MetLife. I know usually it's played down in Philadelphia, Once in a while, I believe it's even played in the nation's capital down at FedEx Field, but it was at MetLife for whatever reason, I don't know. But in the final regular season college football game between Army and Navy, the midshipmen win again over their longtime rivals and Army. But now with the Bulls about to kick off here in the coming days, and as I said last week, and I'll say it again, I'm not going to get into all these bowl games, people. All I'm going to focus in on is New Year's Eve, the college football playoff. Obviously, I'll have my predictions in a couple of weeks as we head into that week where the New Year's Eve games is on that Friday. All the other bowl games, unless it's something just newsworthy or something that has to be brought up, whether it was a wild ending or a shootout of a game or whatever it is, then I'll discuss it. But to really break down all these bowls and... As I said then, I'll say now, no offense to the students, to the administration, to alumni, you pillow the post. No offense, people. But I'm not going to break down these games. That's all there is to it. But no shock, the Heisman Trophy winner there on Saturday night, Bryce Young, the quarterback of Alabama, obviously looking forward to his matchup there against Cincinnati and see how far Alabama goes with all the momentum on their side after their... SEC championship win last week against Georgia. So we still have a few weeks to chew on that. But uh, no shock as Bryce Young is your Heisman Trophy winner. Although, Jim Harbaugh, the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, did predict that his stud defensive lineman, Aiden Hutchinson, is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. So we'll see if that's the case. Right now, I couldn't even tell you who is the consensus number one pick. It's not going to be Bryce Young. People, he is a freshman. He has to stay in college a couple more years. So... For those who are thinking, well, hey, Bryce Young's going to come out. No, he's not. So we could forget about that. But if Hutchinson, if he does have a stellar postseason, so even if, let's say, they lose to Georgia, but he has three and a half sacks in the game, or if they go to a national championship and wrecks the game, but they end up losing, you know his stock's going to go through the roof prior to the scouting combine. So remains to be seen if that's going to be the case, but that's for down the road. I just thought to throw that in there to see if Jim Harbaugh becomes a profit for his stud defensive end. 
All right, now I'll turn my attention to the fall and winter sports. First off with the NBA. And we've had a couple of things come down the pike here as far as some storylines. And as we look forward to Christmas Day, and I know Christmas Day is a special day in the NBA, but sadly, it's going to conflict with the NFL that day because you have a couple of NFL games, one being in Green Bay at Lambeau, which who knows if you get some snow coming down. And with Cleveland, as we talked about here ad nauseum, being part of the AFC playoff mix, that that's a game that we're going to look at with some implications that a lot of the people no matter how dying a wolf an NBA fan you are, they're going to be watching that game. And it's fascinating because that Saturday night, you're going to have Brooklyn versus the Los Angeles Lakers for the first time. And even though no Kyrie Irving, but we'll see the Titans of both the East and West go at it in a primetime matchup. And let's see if that even comes close, which you know it's not going to, in the ratings when it comes to the NBA versus NFL. Because as we all know, the Shield is bulletproof. But back to the NBA. The Portland Trailblazers, I'm going to start there only because Damian Lillard has been in the news recently. He's actually had to come out to say that he wants to stay in Portland. He wants to stick it out. He does not want to be traded. Pretty much paraphrasing there because what has gone on in the Pacific Northwest over the last couple of weeks would certainly make you think if you're the star player that maybe it is time to jump ship and that he's just taking the high road, and good for him, because if he were to come out and request a trade, then he's going to get slaughtered from coast to coast. Oh, it's just another guy using his player empowerment to get out of Portland, another guy that's spoiled, another guy that's rich, another guy that wants to be part of a super team, and good for him. As of right now, we don't have to talk about that, we don't have to get into that, because that would be the narrative if Lillard was to be contrarian in this standpoint of wanting out of Portland. But there were reports that Ben Simmons in Philadelphia and Daryl Morey and company were looking to try to jettison their disgruntled star in Philadelphia to Portland for Damian Lillard, and that was shot down with the quickness. But knowing that they have that cloud hanging over them, and then you have their second best player, CJ McCollum, who suffered a collapsed lung in a game against the Celtics about eight, nine days ago, to where... His status is uncertain, and we don't know when we're going to see him at some point. On top of the toxic workplace, the environment that the former GM, Neil O'Shea, for God knows how long that that's been, and remember, we talk about this time after time after time in all the sports, whether it's the NFL, whether it's now here with the NBA, we've also talked about it in Major League Baseball to a certain extent. You had O'Shea step down, or really was fired, was jettisoned out of there because of accusations, and even though with their investigation, that he was just breeding, well, maybe breeding's too strong, I won't go as far as saying that, but his presence and demeanor was cultivating a toxic environment, so they had to send him the heave-ho, and with all this uncertainty over a Blazer team that is under 500, A team that a lot of people, yours truly included, didn't think were going to make much hay in the Western Conference. And now it's pretty much come to a head as to what this team's going to do, not only with their best player, to see if there is going to be any match. And that's not to say they're going to dangle him, but I'm sure if a team, dare I even say the Knicks, 
And the Knicks is a, let's face it, that is a pipe dream because I'm sure the Knicks fan and what the Knicks have been going through now as that 5-1 and one start has gone to the bottom of the Hudson River and they have a Kemba Walker who is a shell of his old self and you cannot bring another point guard back in here no, much, no matter how much you want to have a guy like Damian Lillard would bring box offers, Broadway, etc. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. But I would think that the Blazers will be open to offers and trying to get that right trade to maybe send Lillard to a spot where he could thrive and maybe go deep into a postseason. But man, that is just an ugly scenario there for a team that cannot get out of its own way and we do not know what is going to happen with them moving forward. They're currently in a five-game losing streak. Lillard can't do it all by himself, as we know. And who knows what the new GM, and I can't even tell you who it is right now, but what pressure he's going to be under to try to see what they could do to salvage this season or maybe even salvage their franchise because their one redeeming asset that could bring back a lot but knows that if he falls short of bringing back, whether it's a boatload of picks or comparable talent, young talent at that, that he could build around and hopefully be a contender somewhere down the road in the Western Conference, then he's not going to be long for his job and certainly will be renting in the Portland area as opposed to be buying. So that's what you have there with the Trailblazers. And as far as the Sixers go, they have let it be known that Ben Simmons is available, but... We like to throw the word untouchable around and it's usually for internal purposes where the GM says, no, that player is untouchable or uh-uh, that's a guy that we're not going to trade. It seems like it's working in reverse because he is untouchable to where the other 30 or 29 teams in the league probably do not want to touch this guy because they know, character aside, and I won't even get into that, But he is limited offensively, despite the fact that he's a wonder and an all-NBA player defensively. And we know that he's a facilitator, but he cannot shoot a free throw. He can barely shoot a jump shot. And we all know he can't shoot a three-pointer to save his life. So that's where he becomes an untouchable for all the other teams besides Philadelphia. And where he goes and the matchup with the contracts and the talent is unbeknownst to me. We've laid out a couple of scenarios a while back and that included Damian Lillard, which we all know that's not going to go anywhere. Could Ben Simmons go to the Knicks or could there be a trade with the Nets to where Kyrie goes to Philadelphia? That's also been discussed or at least rumored, but I can't see that happening. But who knows? The Ben Simmons saga is going to continue until somebody's desperate because that's what's going to lead to there's not a team right now that's going to look at Ben Simmons and say this guy's going to be a plus not only for this year but for the next four years and he's owed about 140 million dollars because his offensive game as we've seen is offensive granted in the open floor he could dish he could drive to the hoop he can get his points that way but in crunch time or when the money's on the line the guy's nowhere to be found and if you're going to pay him in upwards of 35 million dollars a year that's not a guy that you want to have on your team or represent your franchise for the next half a decade. And that's me saying it. And I'm sure there's a lot of other organizations out there that are saying the same thing and would echo my sentiments. So who knows what's going to happen there. But now, for stuff that's happening on the court, 
the Chicago Bulls, as we all know, they're having a great year. And even though they've stubbed their toe here over the last week or so, but for this team who are now going through a ravaged COVID outbreak to where they have 10, count them, in the organization that have COVID. And just recently, it's Alizé Johnson, who's been the latest culprit of coming down with COVID. And you can only hope with the colder weather that's here and with everybody indoors, and it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter if you've gotten your booster, it doesn't matter if you're taking ivermectin, it doesn't matter what you may, if you're in a protective bubble, you can still get this damn thing. And now we have to wait to see how the NBA is going to handle this because as we've seen in the NHL, whether it was the Islanders just a couple of weeks ago as they had to derail a couple of their games and postpone And then before that, you had the Ottawa Senators that they had to also postpone games. The NBA, they have not, thankfully to this point, have had to revamp their schedule or had to put a pause on any of their teams throughout the association. But you do have to wonder at this point whether or not that they may have to take a big giant breath and wonder whether or not that they're going to have to at least stagger a little bit of this season because the Bulls here, and with the early season success, you do not want to disrupt what they've got going on there by having to reschedule these games, but they may not have a choice because they have 10 players in the protocol right now, and that includes Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, just to name a few. I know Derek Jones just before the weekend, I believe he was the fifth player, and then you had five more guys come out and test positive. So now you got to wonder whether or not the Bulls are going to be able to court a team. But you would think they'd have no choice but to put them on hold here. And let me look at their schedule real quick over the course of the coming week. The Bulls, they have the Pistons tomorrow that they'll host. And over the course of the next few days, let's see if they have some games where they could scatter out or maybe their next game they don't have a back-to-back upcoming they're scheduled this week to have Detroit followed by a trip to Toronto on Thursday and then their next game is Sunday against the Lakers at home before they have games there Monday which is a back-to-back Houston and then Toronto so who knows I know the NBA is going to try to hold out as long as they can but with 10 players in protocol I mean how could you at this point So that's something that we'll have to monitor and see as we move along. Other than that, I know Steph Curry is looking to eclipse Ray Allen. And I know he tried to do his best day of Saturday night against the Sixers. But that wasn't to be the case. He may be able to break it tonight in Indiana before coming to New York. As they'll invade the Garden tomorrow. So who knows, if he has an off night tonight in Indiana, he may be able to set the record. I don't know how many he's behind. I have to double check. I know he was nine behind going into the game against the Sixers. I don't know how many. Oh, maybe I take that back. I think he was maybe six behind. But the game against Philly, he was not successful and they ended up losing to the Sixers there. And that Saturday night showcase, which the NBA is starting now, I get. I guess you're getting a little taste of the NBA now as they lead into their Christmas Day quintuple header. I hope I said that right. But they have the five games there on Christmas. And Curry is just a few three-pointers away of breaking the all-time record set by Ray Allen. So that's going to be some big news here in the coming days. So we'll take and keep our eyes out for that. 
I know you have that scenario down in New Orleans whether Zion's ever going to play again and who knows his recovery from this foot injury has been setback after setback so who knows when we're going to see Zion and I know that the league was at high anticipation coming out of Duke to see what he could do at the next level but you got to wonder whether or not it's going to be in the cards for this guy and I'm not trying to put a hex or a drinks on him but we've seen when he's on the court what he's been able to do, although it's a small sample size that we saw more last year, and remember his first season, he missed what, I believe the first 36 games with that knee, and then now he has his foot injury, and we all know he is a big man, 6'8", close to 300 pounds, maybe a shade south of that, or a few shades south of that, I want to give him the credit or benefit of the doubt, but you got to wonder whether or not that this is going to be the story for Zion in the years to come. Thankfully, he's still young, but we all know foot injuries and knee injuries will damage any career, but let alone an NBA career when pretty much your job is to sprint and leap throughout the 48-minute period if you're going to play 48 minutes, but even if you're going to play 36 minutes, and when a guy like Zion, who his game is full of power, you got to wonder whether or not it's going to be in the cards for him to play this year. Fingers crossed, I hope he does. The league would love to see it. Another young guy that hopefully he can move up the ranks and be that all-world player that a lot of people thought he would be. Not even coming into the NBA when he came onto the campus at Duke, that he could be that next generational player after LeBron, after some of the guys in this generation that will slowly but surely exit out, that Zion could be that guy to carry the league. Well, Right now, it looks like it's going to be very far-fetched on whether or not he's going to do that, but there's still time. Hopefully, he's on the mend, and we'll see where that leads us. But as far as the league on a whole, the Suns have now overtaken the Warriors, albeit the slightest of margins, just a half a game. But it's amazing to think that the Warriors got off to that torrid start, and you would think that they would probably run away with the West, but Phoenix said, "Uh uh-uh. Remember, we were the Western Conference representative in the NBA final. And a lot of people, including yours truly, didn't give them the dap and the love that they deserved. Although I did give it to them as they beat the Clippers and they made it into the NBA final because they shut me up with the quickness. Well, they're continuing to silence the naysayers. And here they are at 21-4, just a half game ahead of the Warriors at 21-5 out the West. Jazz have played well. They've won seven in a row and look to see if they could be a threat to the top two teams out there in Phoenix and Golden State. Give it up for Memphis. They have played extremely well, and that's without John Morant. I don't even know if he's back in the lineup as of yet, because remember, he suffered that knee injury, which was at first thought to be serious, but they figured it would take at least two weeks. I'm sure he should be back on the court anytime soon if he hasn't been already. But with the Grizzlies there in the top four, surprisingly so, without their best player, and then you have the Clippers and Lakers there at five and six, and the Lakers, let's see, LeBron said sleep, actually has helped them out here to where the Lakers are a couple of games over 500. Let's see if they could stretch that a little bit more because they have been hovering around 500 pretty much the whole first quarter of the season. Let's see if they start to take off as they head into that Christmas matchup against the Brooklyn Nets. Other than that, pretty much status quo there out West. When you look at the East, Nets and Bucks up top. We talked about the Bulls there. They're only separated by two games. The Heat, who have been eh, up and down, but still are only three games behind the Nets in the East for the top spot. Give it up for the Cavaliers. 
at 16 and 12, arguably losing their best player in Colin Sexton to a torn meniscus early this year. Uh, who would have thought that they would have been anywhere in the discussion when it comes to the Eastern Conference? And I understand it's only 28 games. Let's see as we get past the All-Star break and toward the latter part of the season. But you got to give it up. That's a good story. One thing that we rarely see in the NBA is some parity. And I get it that when it's all said and done, it's going to come down to about four or five teams that's going to win the NBA Finals. Can we sit here today on December 13th and think that the Cavaliers are going to make it to an Eastern Conference Final? Of course not. Or even an Eastern Conference Semifinal. Of course, a lot of people are going to shut that down. And I'm sure there are some people, I won't say myself because I haven't watched this team. Are there a team that's going to be part of this discussion, as I mentioned, throughout the course of the rest of this year? Remains to be seen. I'm more of a non-believer than I am a believer, but... Give it up for them and what they've done to be there in the top five in the East as we get to the 30-game threshold. Good for them. But other than that, yeah, you don't really have much. I mean, the Hawks, they can't get out of their own way, although they're back in the top 10. Because remember, you got to look at that 7 through 10, the playing tournament that the NBA has adopted here for a second year. Celtics have been awful. Knicks have fallen off a cliff, as I said. The Pistons are the worst team in the sport, 4-22 and as they lost 12 in a row. Uh, that's what you got with the NBA there, people. Uh, there really, really isn't much more to get into or discuss other than the stuff that I mentioned at the top. But we'll look forward to those Christmas games. We'll touch on that a little bit as we get on the podcast next week, as we head into Christmas week. But that's what you got there with the association. And as far as the ice, you got a little bit of this and a little bit of that as far as the NHL is concerned. And just like the Chicago Bulls, the Calgary Flames have experienced a COVID outbreak themselves as three games are being postponed because of the aforementioned outbreak. And we've also seen that, as I mentioned before, with the Islanders and Ottawa. So now Calgary has been affected to where their game tonight against the Blackhawks, which is the only game on the schedule, has been postponed. And Calgary, as we've seen, especially when it came out east and pretty much swept through the Devils, Rangers and the Islanders, Calgary, as we see be fit, are in second place in the Pacific, just a point behind the Anaheim Ducks who have played very well here. Remember, Edmonton, after that fast start, has cooled off considerably to where they've fallen four points behind the second place Calgary Flames. So let's see if Edmonton will get out of this little bit of a funk. Although the Ducks have played 30 games, so they do have four games in hand. And with Calgary at 28, they have two games in hand. So they're a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to the Pacific and what they've done so far in the schedule. That's why we see Anaheim at the top of the Pacific. But in a weird twist or a weird take, I don't even know how to describe it. We've talked about the Arizona Coyotes coming into this year, knowing that the city of Glendale, where they play, that the lease for the building, they were going to terminate it after this year. And remember, when they first moved to Phoenix from Quebec, they played a lot of their games in the U.S. Airways Center, which I know has been renamed, people. Many years ago, it was the America West Arena when it was first opened, and for pretty much the bulk of their existence, it was the U.S. Airways Center. I don't even know what it is now. I know it's some weird name. I think it's a resort that the building is named after. 
But when they moved to Glendale, I would say off the top of my head, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, maybe even more than that. They've been playing their home games there to where the city said enough. We want to just terminate the lease. You're going to have to find another destination. I don't know if they're going to go back to the U.S. Airway Center next year. I know that's a building that's not really suitable for hockey, even though they played most of their games early on in their existence in that building. But now it begs the question, and I understand, like three people care about this topic, and I'm assuming that those three people are in Arizona because the team has not done much since they moved to that region. But it's fascinating from this regard because there is absolutely no backup plan or not even a groundswell for a backup plan. And we're talking about a sports organization. This isn't some two-bit operation or this isn't a scenario where, all right, they still have two more years left on a deal so they have time or they could certainly wait it out or maybe they're starting to look for relocation. No, they're done after this year. And before you know it, this is a team that's not going to make the playoffs. They're last in the NHL, and I believe by far with the worst record. They're 5-20-2, 12 points. They're going nowhere fast. And you would think the ownership there would look to say, all right, we got to start finding a new home for our organization. I know the one rumor was maybe go to Houston to relocate there, which would give them a little bit of a hockey presence to go along with maybe a rivalry with the Dallas Stars. Who knows? That remains to be seen, but... Nothing has come across the wire as far as any news. And I get nobody cares. But this is almost like if the Detroit Pistons. And I understand the Pistons have a lot more tradition than the Arizona Coyotes have. But that's like the Pistons saying that, all right, we're going to cut the lease from the last year of the building that they're in. And granted, they moved into a new building. But just using them as an example for this discussion. All right. Bye-bye, Detroit Pistons. We don't know where you're going to relocate. We don't care. The city is just punting you to wherever you want to go. And the Pistons are left stranded, not having a plan B, C, or D, which will make you think, what the hell's going on with that organization to not find where their next home is going to be? That's why I'm fascinated by the story. But as it was, last week, they didn't even pay their bills. They weren't even able to put forth I think they had to pay two million dollars and what the organization said that there was a mix-up there was an oversight or somebody from the account payables department overlooked that bills need to be paid listen if you have your administrative staff pretty much checking out of the organization knowing that this could be it what does this mean for the players the coaches the training staff the equipment staff I mean this is a disgrace Now, how is this possible? So we'll see what happens there with Arizona. Not to say we're going to follow this week in and week out, but as the news comes up, I'm sure they're going to have to relocate. At this point, even if they were to go back to Phoenix to play in that arena where they once played again, I know it's not the U.S. Airways Center anymore. I get it, people, but I, I just it's hard to fathom that a sports franchise could just operate this way. And then to add another layer to that, the commissioner has come out to state that the Coyotes are not a threat to relocate. Mr. Bettman, have you seen what's gone on in Arizona here over the last, not even just the last week, let's go maybe the last year. The team is awful. They have not been relevant in any stretch over the last God knows how many years. 
they're having trouble keeping the lights on and they're done in that building after this year. But they're not going to relocate? I get that he doesn't want to probably have a firestorm of questions if he does says, well, it's in flux right now. We don't know. Especially if he's been in cahoots with the organization to say, hey guys, we got to do something here quick. Before you know it's going to be January. Then three months after that, the season's over. And then we got to start preparing for whether or not that they're going to either stay put or move elsewhere. So I understand he's going to have to take the high road and say that they're not a threat to relocate, but does he have his finger on the pulse here? I know he does, doesn't he? Ugh. All right, let me get to stuff that's happening on the ice. And a milestone in the NHL where you had Mark andre Fleury, the former Penguin and Vegas Golden Knight goaltender who reached the 500 win mark in his NHL career. And he did it in shutout fashion. He joins Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waz, the only goaltenders in the history of the sport, to achieve that milestone to win 500 games in net. And it's funny because you would look at what he's done throughout his career. He's won Stanley Cups. He's been on Stanley Cup teams. And the sad part is, is that when you look at his chances of making it to the Hockey Hall of Fame, it comes with a big giant question mark because although he owns three cup rings, but he's pretty much responsible for one of them and that's the one in 2009 because for the ones that he won in 15 and 16, Matt Murray was just as responsible for winning those cups than he were for Fleury. And even though he's had a very good career and borderline great, but he's been pulled from playoff series. He's been pulled from many games. He's had a lot of moments where he's been very inconsistent. He's been benched. He's been ineffective. And does that constitute a Hall of Fame career despite the fact that you've reached a plateau that only two other people in the history of the sport have and you have the hard way to boot? Listen, I don't want to piss on this guy's career. I mean, the guy, is he worthy of a Hall of Fame? Yes, you could say that, but is he an automatic lock or first ballot? That you have to put into question. And I'm sorry, Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, Listen, I'm not trying to rain on your parade. I know it comes across that way, but I'm telling the truth. Just look at the back of the playoff hockey card. Just look at the resume. And yes, the resume is sterling when it comes to the hardware and what he's achieved. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. But when it comes to the inconsistency and everything that I pointed out, and those are facts, is he a lock Hall of Famer? It's questionable. It really is. And debatable for that matter. I know a lot of people may not feel that way. I mean, I think that way because he has that big resume. But, well, anyway, I'll move on here. As far as the ice on a whole, everything is pretty much the same people. I know now you have Florida, who after that torrid start and then fell back a little bit to the pack, They're tied with the Maple Leafs for first in the Atlantic with the Lightning right behind them, 38. Then you pretty much have a big drop-off there. The Bruins, eight points behind the Lightning. Capitals, Hurricane, Rangers, top three, separated by one point in that order in the Metropolitan, followed by the Penguins at 33. And then you have a little bit of a drop-off there with Columbus, the Devils, Flyers, and Islanders. Islanders finally got their first home victory the other night against the Devils. Woo-hoo. Got a lot of work ahead of them. The Wild continue to play well, though they've lost the last couple. But the Predators, 
who came into the tri-state area, beat the Islanders, Rangers, and Devils three-game sweep here over the weekend to the tune of five straight, four back of the Wild there in the Central, tied with the Blues there for second place. And Colorado, who's played very well after their slow start, but they're fourth in the Central as of this moment. And then out West, we already talked about in the Pacific, with Anaheim sprinting to the top of the Pacific with Calgary, Edmonton, and Vegas tied with the Oilers there for fourth. And then you have the Sharks, just a point back there. Remember, the top four in each of those divisions will see how stout that they remain as we get deeper into this NHL season. All right, so let me now rip through a few things here before we say goodbye, and we'll go through it real quickly. Pretty much some quick hitters in each of the sports. College basketball, Purdue made it to number one for the first time, as we talked about last week, and just like two weeks prior, where Duke beat Gonzaga off the number one perch, and then Ohio State beat Duke off of their number one perch, it took a former NBA player's son almost with a half-court heave in Rutgers, Ron Harper Jr., to beat the Boilermakers there at the buzzer, what was that, I think Wednesday or Thursday night, and now Purdue's going to be out of the number one. The rankings have not come out yet in college basketball, but you're going to have a new number one there. As I pull that up, if I had to guess who's going to be the number one team in the nation, and I'm not going to go through you know, the top ten or whatever, I'm just going to predict who will be that team as of, oh, you would think it's going to be Baylor. They're undefeated at 9-0. and And Arizona, USC, Iowa State, they're down the list there in the top 25 rankings. But Baylor is your top number one team in the nation, followed by Duke. Purdue's dropped to number three. UCLA, Gonzaga, your top five. So Baylor's a new number one. And let me see what Baylor has this week because we would have to see who is on their schedule. All right, they're at Oregon. And then is that, can't be Alcorn State, is it? Yeah, it is Alcorn State, the former alma mater of yesteryear for one, the late, great Steve McNair. So Baylor has those two games on their schedule this week. So you would think Baylor would probably play to form, hold suit, and keep that number one ranking in the country. So that's what you have there as Purdue was short-lived there at number one in men's college basketball. As you know, baseball's quiet, but the Mets are still in their search for a new manager. I believe they're going through their second round of interviews, and I am sorry. The only manager that they should look at right now is a one Buck Showalter. And we understand that Buck Showalter, when you look at his managerial career, he has been the bridesmaid and never the bride. When you look back at his Yankee tenure in the 90s to where they... Had that great record in 94 before the strike hit. Then they made it to the postseason in 95, but lost in the wild card round to the Seattle Mariners. Was let go. They hired Joe Torre, and we all know what happened after that. Four World Series in five years. Buck Walter didn't make it then. Then in 96, he was appointed the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks as they were ushered in in the 1998 season. The year after, they made it to the postseason in 99. They lose a crushing game four to the Mets in the division series. And then as he leaves, they bring in Bob Brenly. And what happens in 2001, Brenly wins the World Series against the New York Yankees. So now you have it where this team, and maybe the third time's a charm, a guy who knows baseball, baseball lifer, 
He's rebuilt teams. He's taken teams to the postseason. All right, he may not have taken the team to the World Series. Even the Baltimore Orioles, he took those teams to the playoffs. Maybe this is the final mountain. Maybe this is his time to come in here with all of his wisdom, knowledge, leadership, etc. to bring this Met team not only into the postseason, but hopefully to the World Series and winning finally after 36 years a World Series championship. Now, why would the Mets last week, as was reported, why would the Mets even think about going to the Dodgers to interview their first base coach and a one Clayton McCullough? No offense to him. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he knows baseball. I'm sure he's well-respected throughout the sport. But when we're talking about going to the next level, and when we looked at the recent history of this franchise, whether it was hiring Mickey Calloway, or even, and I understand promoting from within, but Luis Rojas, sandwiched in between hiring Carlos Beltran. All these guys, first-time managers. What has happened to all three of them? They're no longer here. And two of those guys were here for two years, tops. All right, you had the COVID year last year for Rojas, not really fair. 60 games, but he was there for all 60. And then obviously this past year. But two of those managers didn't make it into their third year. And the manager in between pretty much didn't make it into his third week. I'm, of course, exaggerating there. Or maybe even his third month. And that may not even be an exaggeration. But now it's time to go the other way. It's time to hire the seasoned guy. The guy who has been around the sport forever. The guy who maybe this could be his opportunity to make it to a World Series. Just bring him in. Everybody will be happy. All the Met fans will rejoice. They've already been happy this offseason with all the moves that they made. This is the final piece. Bring in that manager. Don't play around with the Clayton McCullers of the world. Don't play around with the Joe Espadas of the world, or even the Carlos Beltrans. Bring in Buck Showalter. That is it. That is all. I'm gone. Tiger Woods, we talked about last week. He's been in the news the last couple of weeks with his press conference and not knowing when he's going to be on a golf course. He predicted maybe the British Open next July. Well, guess what? July has come pretty much in mid-December because you're going to see him at the PNC next week with his son, Charlie. And although Charlie, I'm sure, with his dad in tow, has shown him the ins and outs, and we've seen a couple of the videos with his swing, so on and so forth, But you got to wonder, just a little bit, just because of the Woods name and who his dad is, is there a little bit of pressure on this kid to be anything close to what his father is? I kind of hate to put it in that context, but that is the truth. That's similar to LeBron James, and we know about his son, Bronny, who's in high school right now, and LeBron is hoping that the day comes where his son makes it to the NBA so he could possibly play with his son, To have that father-son duo on the court, which I believe would be historic. I don't think there's been a father-son duo to play on the court at the same time. We've seen that in baseball with Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr., but that's different because when Ken Griffey Sr. was in the American League, he was a DH at that point of his career, where Jr. was the young stud right fielder for the Mariners. But I don't think we've seen that in the NBA. But my point is, is that if Bronny were to make it to the pros... And we all know LeBron James, all the pressure that Bronny's going to be on to be anything close to what his father's going to be, 
we're going to have to see that here maybe with Charlie and his dad, Tiger. We'll see how this unfolds. I know that this tournament, I'm sure Tiger, he's going to take it easy. He's going to obviously monitor his son's progress. I'm sure a lot of it is going to be on his son. I know there's probably not going to be any added pressure, even on Tiger too, to perform well. I mean, the guy is 10 months out of this accident. And although he's still on the mend, and I'm sure he's still rehabbing to a certain extent, we can't expect him just to go out there and shoot a 68 in one round. And if he does, then everybody's going to think, oh, he could probably make it for the Masters. So something to pay attention to here, even with Charlie, to see how good of a golfer he is. And I understand we can't pound Charlie, and I'm not going to be that guy that if Charlie shoots, whatever, 10 over, I mean, the kid is 12. So... If he shoots a 12 over, that's better than a lot of other people who have played on the the circuit or have been borderline pros or been amateurs or whatever. So I just thought to throw that in there. Maybe that's something we can keep on our radar and see how that takes shape this coming weekend at the PNC. Also, you had the UFC, which to me, the bigger story was the loss by Amanda Nunez. I know you had the fight between Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier and Poirier coming off of his victory against Conor McGregor a couple months back and Oliveira shut up all the critics as he was able to beat Poirier and his match was at 269. But the Amanda Nunez-Juliana Pena match which was from what I saw and I saw highlights people. I didn't pay, this, pay for this but I did watch and followed when news came down that Nunez lost her match with Pena and man she was just jabbing Nunez to death they were slugging it out to me this wasn't all about grappling this wasn't more about technique this was about two combatants going toe to toe in the middle of the octagon and geez one of the reasons why I haven't become a UFC fan or I haven't really wrapped my arms around it is because of the brutal nature of the sport. And people can say, well, Jay Reels, you watch boxing. And yes, we understand boxing is rough and when you see two fighters go at it, but when you just see the blood, the busted faces, not only that, just the, everything that the UFC, it's just more brutal than boxing. You know, that's all there is to it. And to see these two women go at it and just slug one another, with reckless abandon, or as you say, not even reckless, with precision abandon. And then for Pena to get Nunez to the mat and to have her in that, I guess it's a sleeper hold or some sort of choke hold to where Nunez had to tap out. That was the story and that was the buzz coming out of the T-Mobile arena where Pena now put herself in the spotlight And Nunez, as we all know, reputable, the Modelo commercials, a beast in her own right. For her to go down that way, I'm sure there's going to be a rematch somewhere down the road. I don't even know if this is their second matchup. I don't even know if this this is their first fight. But if this is their first fight, you know that a trilogy is going to be on the horizon. So congratulations to Pena. Just an absolute battle in the middle of that octagon. And kudos to her for getting the, I believe she was a, not a welterweight, I think she was a bantamweight. So for her to 
win that in the second round. Yes, Bantamweight. There was a Bantamweight title fight. And in the post-match, he says, don't ever doubt me again. She tapped. I asked the commission, is it over? And that's it. You won and let the celebration begin. So once again, congratulations to Pena. And I'm sure we will see her down the road with a definite rematch in store. All right, people, let's get to wrap up here. As usual, as I do each and every week with my hero and zero of the week. So to kick us off, my hero of the week goes to legendary race car driver Al Unser Sr., a four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Only a couple of others that were four-timers, including Elio Castroneves, who won the Indy 500 early this year, passes away at the age of 82. And the racing world, for those who do follow it, Lost a ton of legends this year, whether it was Bobby Unser Sr. and Jr. And within weeks, I believe. But for Unser Sr., diagnosed with cancer almost two decades ago. And we all know his resume and what he's done for the sport. Especially when you think back to those days in the 70s where the Indianapolis 500 was an event. I understand NASCAR has pretty much taken the whole landscape of racing onto its own. But when I think of racing, especially as a boy... I think about that Memorial Day Sunday at noon, the Indianapolis Raceway, where your name was Al Unser Sr., Mario Andretti, Jackie Stewart. We could go on down the list. But for Al Unser Sr. to leave us, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to his family. He is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, and I like this guy, but I got to pound him for this, goes to Chris Collinsworth. Last night on the broadcast Sunday night, talking about Aaron Rodgers and for all that he's been through this year, saying that he couldn't have been more honest of what he's done this year. Whoa, what? That's where you get the sound effect of the record screeching across with the needle. For him to even come out and say that I ha- he hasn't been more honest throughout this whole year than anybody. Chris Collinsworth, have you been paying attention? All right, I get that he's not going to throw Rodgers under the bus I get that he's not going to slaughter him because he needs to get that access the day before when they go through their interviews for the whole pregame stuff. Understood. And even to a certain extent, I understand you're not going to throw one dart at him. You're not going to even make him mention that. Well, that hiccup that he had a few weeks ago, whether he came out, when he came out and said that, yes, I've been immunized and how that controversy had sparked. And so I understand he's not even going to come out from that tact. But to say that and just break out the pom-poms and almost give him a pass for everything that's happened and obviously him not getting suspended to where we had Antonio Brown and rightfully so for lying about a fake vaccination card and he getting three games suspension, although he's been hurt, but for him to get suspended and then Rodgers to be scot-free to say, whoa, this guy hasn't been more honest than anybody out there. Mr. Collinsworth, sad to say, my guy, stop throwing the bouquets or popping the bottle of Dom Perignon or genuflecting at the broken toe or feet of Aaron Rodgers. That was just, where did that come from? I have no clue. You are my zero of the week. That'll do it, episode 227, people. We're getting toward the end of the year. I tell you, the time just keeps flying, man. Before you know it, next week I'll be talking about Christmas week. After that, we'll talk about how we've unwrapped gifts as we move steam ahead into a 2022 and New Year's Eve. So, first and foremost, as I said earlier, hug the ones you love. Don't put off goals to 2022. Don't set any resolutions. 
Just take a deep breath. Start today, people. Tomorrow isn't promised. Don't wish these days away because before you know it, you're going to regret on it. So all I could say to each and every one of you, thank you for taking the time out to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I do not take your participation for granted. And as I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review, increase the visibility of this podcast with your contribution. I would sincerely appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so on any of my social media accounts on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be sure to write you back. And speaking of contributions, Whatever you want to put forth toward this endeavor, I would sincerely appreciate it if you go to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. What that does, the upkeep of the website, everything that has to do with the production of this podcast, whether it's the equipment, anything that goes on behind the scenes, 100% goes to that. I can promise you that. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm a one-man operation. I do it all by myself, whether it's my marketing, advertising, anything that has to do with the upkeep of putting forth this podcast week in and week out. Yes, I do not have production assistance. I do not have a marketing team. I'm trying my best to do whatever it is that I can to put forth a top-notch A-plus product because, again, I value you guys. I know you could get it from elsewhere. From TV, radio, other podcasts. So I do again, I do not take your participation for granted because whether you could tell if this is your first time, 10th time, 100th time, no matter how many times, if you cannot hear the passion, the fire, the analysis, my opinions, and everything coming through this microphone to your earbuds and speakers, then I don't know what will. That means I have to work harder and dig deeper because it's in my blood, people. It's in the DNA. This is what I love to talk about pretty much since birth. Anything and everything that's happening on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>